0: Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Hope you guys are having a great week. We are preparing for Thanksgiving. here. It's a little bit of an abbreviated solo show here today, but a few topics I wanted to touch on as we approach Thanksgiving. NFL is in a really unique time. This has been a strange year of football. Don't really know if anybody's good at the Eagles. I would say are pretty good. They have the best record in football and just beat the Chiefs last night. But this was a game, we'll start here, where the Chiefs felt like they might have lost the game more than the Eagles won it, And I would only say that because of what happened on the penultimate play of the game, I believe, for the Kansas City Chiefs. That was the drop by Marquez Valdez-Scantling that would have produced a long touchdown pass, given the Chiefs back the lead, and put them in position to win a second consecutive game against the team they beat in the Super Bowl a year ago. And this is a story that we've already hit this season. The concerns about the Chiefs and their wide receivers. Just like the Lions game in week one, where Kadarius Toney, Sky Moore had a number of drops, one of which produced a pick six for Brian Branch that turned that game around and swung it towards the Lions. The Chiefs wide receivers, not good on paper, not good in practice. I'm sorry, not good in reality, not good in practice is a little bit of a misnomer. But this is a Chiefs wide receiver core that raises serious questions about whether Kansas City can really win a Super Bowl with an offense where Justin Watson is getting 11 targets. Not sure that's how Andy Reid would have drawn this season up. I know that they expected more out of Sky Moore heading into this season, and he has not produced. I know they expect Marquez Valdez-Scantling to produce when he gets the opportunities, but has not lived up to expectations. And the Chiefs don't need great receivers to win a Super Bowl. They have a great defense. They have a solid running game when they trust it. But what I find so interesting about these conversations about the Chiefs and whether they can win a Super Bowl with mediocre wide receivers is that we just saw them do it last year. They won a Super Bowl a year ago with a wide receiver core that was very similar to what they have right now. Last year, they did not have last year. They did not have Rashi Rice, who was uh, in college at that time, was drafted in the second round by the Chiefs this year. They did have Juju Smith-Schuster and Juju helped. He had a couple of big games during the regular season. I'm also going to be honest, looking at what Juju has done with the Patriots, I don't think he's single-handedly changing the Chiefs' offense this year, but we did see the Chiefs win last year without a majority of even these wide receivers. In the AFC Championship game, they did not have Juju, they did not have Kadarius Toney, did not have Sky Moore because of injuries. They didn't have Rashi Rice yet, because he was still in college. Their two starting wide receivers, or their two primary wide receivers, in the second half of that game against the Bengals last year were Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who had six catches for 116 yards and a touchdown, and Marcus Kemp, who played more offensive snaps in that, that playoff game than he did during the entire regular season. Now, they were not dominant in offense in that game, but they had enough to win. Here is the concern. If you're the Chiefs, though, there's a difference between last year's team and this year's team, at least if you're thinking about the big picture and what we saw on Monday night. The 2022 version of the Chiefs had an all-world tight end, impacting the vast majority of plays in Travis Kelsey. The 2023 version of the Chiefs did not have that player last night. And here's admittedly where I would make a lot of money if I were foolish enough to bring this in Taylor Swift. I'm not going to do that or bring that up because that's ridiculous. But. There is a difference between the 2022 Kelsey and the 2023 Kelsey. It's not how he's played. It's how often he's played. Kelsey is 34 years old, and I believe that the Chiefs are being very deliberate about how they use him. Remember, he missed the week one game against the Lions with a knee injury. That was his first game out with an injury since his rookie season in 2013. Kelsey has been remarkably healthy and extremely productive over his Hall of Fame career. And Andy Reid's not an idiot. You've seen him manage Kelsey's workload as time has gone along and he's gotten older. Go back to 2018, Mahomes' first year as the starter. Kelsey played 95% of the offensive snaps. They needed all the help around Mahomes they could get in his his basically rookie season. And of course he was phenomenal, but the Chiefs needed to have Kelsey on the field as often as they could. That dropped to 93% the next year. 86% in 2020, which doesn't include Kelsey missing a game because of being on the COVID list and also sitting out a meaningless game at the end of the season. So 86% of the snaps in the games he actually played. He was down to 82% in 2021, 80% in 2022. And this year, leaving week one aside, Kelsey's played just 74% of the offensive snaps. He hasn't been consistent as he was a year ago, but he has been as productive on a route-by-route basis. Last year, Kelsey averaged 2.44 yards per route run a year ago. So that's the number of yards he has accrued this year divided by the number of routes he's run, whether he was targeted on those routes or not. That's 11th in the NFL amongst all receivers, wide receivers, tight ends, running backs. Kelsey, 11th in the NFL last year. This year, he's averaging 2.43 yards per route run which ranks 16th amongst all receivers. Kelsey's still great. The difference is he's just not playing as often. He averaged more than 32 routes per game a year ago, down to 29 routes per game this year. Not a huge difference, but that adds up over the course of you know, a, a full season. My strong suspicion, because again, Andy Reid is not an idiot, is that Kelsey's workload will increase in the games that matter most. Last night, he played 94% of the snaps, not surprising, given that he had topped 80% of the snaps just once before a game, before this season, any particular game. Kelsey did not have his best game, admittedly. He did not have great numbers in this game, had a drop that was a little disappointing, but we saw him create opportunities for other receivers. He was literally triple-teamed. That does not happen often in the NFL. Triple-teamed on the play where Valdez Scantling got open deep for a long touchdown. It's been a rough three-game stretch for Kelsey. He's not been producing great numbers over the last few games, but he had 124 and 179 receiving yards in the games just before this three-game stretch of relative mediocrity for one of the best tight ends in league history. History tells us that if Kelsey is still playing at a high level, the Chiefs will be just fine with their mediocre group of wide receivers. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8-S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. I also feel like I need to talk about the New York Jets, a frequent topic of discussion here on the show. And I won't belabor the points I've made in the past about this offense and the infrastructure they have and the decisions they made over the offseason in terms of adding pieces. It'll come up a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but I'm not going to go through everything they did over the offseason again. But what I will address is where they are right now and the timing of the choices they made at quarterback. This has not been a, a an issue for the Jets that we could not have seen coming. Zach Wilson has struggled at quarterback. He had his stretches. Remember, there was that weird like quarter in the Chiefs game where he looked phenomenal suddenly. Uh, he had some solid, okay performances in games here and there. But overall, he has struggled in the ways you would expect Zach Wilson to struggle. He's panicked. He's made terrible decisions at times with the football. He's been aggressive in situations where he needed to be conservative and vice versa. He has done a better job of avoiding interceptions than you would expect. He had three in the Cowboys game and just four across his other nine appearances and and three over his last eight games, which I think is honestly pretty impressive, all things considered, given what the expectations are for Zach Wilson. But he's not playing good football. He played worse than he did a year ago by some metrics. His completion percentage is up, but he's averaging 6.1 yards per attempt down from 7 yards per attempt a year ago. He's still taking sacks at too high of a rate. He's still missing opportunities. He's still slow to process. He is not an NFL caliber starting quarterback. Now, you know that, and I know that, but the last people that seem to realize that that was the case are the New York Jets, who spent the last few weeks struggling with Zach Wilson, lying to themselves about Zach Wilson. I suppose when you were beating the Eagles and beating the Giants because your defense played great and the Giants were stuck with Tommy DeVito and were literally terrified to throw the football uh, in that game in October, maybe you could delude yourself into believing Zach Wilson was going to be your guy. Hey, that happens. NFL teams delude themselves all the time. But over the last three weeks, I think even to Robert Sala and the Jets, it's become clear he's not that guy. The Jets were a mess on offense in a blowout loss to the Chargers. They struggled to move the ball in a game they should have won against the Raiders and against a Bills defense that's been just destroyed by injuries and a shell of what it's been in years past. Zach Wilson was a mess. He was 7-15 for 81 yards with a touchdown and an interception and five sacks. When the Jets finally decided it was time for a change. We brought in Tim Boyle in the fourth quarter, and Tim Boyle is expected to start, or is going to start, by all accounts, this upcoming week when the Jets move on and play the Miami Dolphins on the black fr- the first Black Friday game in NFL history, to my knowledge. I'm a little worried about what's going to happen in this game. I don't love Tim Boyle's chances against Jalen Ramsey, Vic Fangio, and that Dolphins defense. And Tim Boyle is sort of a fascinating character in some ways. I don't know that there is a quarterback in recent NFL history. I don't want to be mean because I'm sure he's a nice person. A quarterback in NFL history, at least recent NFL history, who was less qualified to be an NFL starter in a game. That's actually kind of meaningful for both teams involved than Tim Boyle. As Roger Sherman pointed out in 2019, Tim Boyle was not a good college quarterback by any stretch. Over three years at UConn, which is not exactly going to put you in the best position to succeed, Tim Boyle had one touchdown pass against 13 interceptions on about 270 pass attempts. So Tim Boyle was barely playable at UConn. He went to Eastern Kentucky, transferred, and was okay there, I guess. Completed 61% of his passes, averaged six and a half yards per attempt, threw 11 touchdowns against 13 picks. That's not even top-tier college football, and Tim Boyle was a disaster. Tim Boyle comes into the pros. He spends a couple years... uh, on the Packers as a backup to Aaron Rodgers, which may explain why he's now a member of the New York Jets. He moves to the Lions in 2021. Jared Goff misses some time. Tim Boyle starts three games for those Lions. He averages 5.6 yards per attempt, throws six interceptions on 94 pass attempts. He moves to the Bears the next year in 2022. He throws two interceptions on eight pass attempts. With the Jets so far this year, 7 of 14 for 33 yards in in mop-up time against the Bills, one dropped interception, and an ugly pick thrown late in that game. Tim Boyle has thrown 120 pass attempts as a pro. He's thrown nine interceptions. He has a 7.5% interception rate. League as a whole typically runs about 2% by that metric. If you go back to 2018 and you look at every quarterback, who has played in the NFL over that time? Everyone has thrown 100 pass attempts or more over that stretch. Tim Boyle's passer rating, which is 50.9, is 90 out of that of that 91 quarterback sample. Believe the only quarterback who was worse than him. Trying to remember, I want to say it's Josh Rosen. It was Josh Rosen. I remember looking at it yesterday. Josh Rosen is the only quarterback who has worse numbers than Tim Boyle so far as an NFL quarterback. Tim Boyle is six foot four. And I'm sure he's a nice dude, because if you're a jerk and you are you're have those numbers at quarterback, you are not lasting long in the NFL. I, I don't know that Tim Boyle was even qualified to be a good college quarterback, let alone be a solid professional quarterback. And we're not exactly thrusting him into a situation where he's going to have a lot of success. The Jets are down multiple starting linemen already. Of course, Dwayne Brown is on IR. Connor McGovern's on IR, and he was playing especially great before he got hurt. Elijah Vera Tucker is on IR. Wes Swisher is on IR. Mackay Becton left the game last week after a few snaps with an injury. Um, Billy Turner has been hurt. Max Mitchell was struggling in that game. They have Chris Glazer, who was not to play this year, starting and playing meaningful snaps for them. I mean, this is a just a disaster of an offensive line situation for the New York Jets. I know that a lot of people were skeptical of the line, myself included, heading into the year. I don't think any of us could have anticipated how bad this line was going to be. And, and due to injuries, I mean, if the Jets had had their starting five healthy all year, I think that was a naive expectation, but they would have been fine. But they have not been, they're down to third stringers up front protecting uh, our friend Tim Boyle. I, I'm not, I can't really be mad at the Jets for making a change. I think at this point, you're just sort of throwing stuff against the wall and hoping something sticks. Wilson clearly has not been the answer. You, you can't go back to before the year and make the moves they should have made to supplement their quarterback situation. I'm not going to again. I'm trying, guys. You can hear me. I'm trying so hard not to go into the don't hire all of Aaron Rodgers' friends to be every you know every piece of uh, the supporting cast around your your starting quarterback and Garrett Wilson. But this was not a situation where the Jets should have sat after Week One and the Rodgers injury and not made any changes. There was a quarterback on the free agent market, who had experience playing for the Jets over the past couple of years, a guy who had been in their building by the name of Joe Flacco, who had been on this roster each of the past three years. I know it's a new offense with Nathaniel Hackett, but he had been certainly developing familiarity with their quarterbacks. Joe Flacco was not great last year. He completed 57% of his passes, averaged five and a half yards per attempt. I don't think Joe Flacco is the solution for the Jets necessarily, but he did lead them to a comeback victory over the Browns where he threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. So at his best, Joe Flacco was a playable NFL starting quarterback, something that it's been tough to say about Zach Wilson and something you can certainly not say about Tim Boyle. And yet the Jets went out and they did not pursue Joe Flacco when Aaron Rodgers got hurt. They signed Trevor Simeon. And why are they not playing Trevor Simeon, who has been at least a passable NFL quarterback instead of uh, Tim Boyle who they have because they don't think Trevor Simeon knows the offense as effectively as Tim Boyle. Now, we've seen Joshua Dobbs, who the Jets could have traded for at the trade deadline, learn the offense pretty quickly in Minnesota. We've seen other quarterbacks. Sam Bradford comes to mind, learn the offense or learn some semblance of the offense in a week. Trevor Simeon's been there for two months, and Trevor Simeon's had plenty of time to learn this offense It's not like Trevor Simeon would be thrust into an unfamiliar, unexpected situation if they made him the starter, but Tim Boyle knows this offense because he was the third stringer on the Packers for a couple of years, and admittedly, he probably has more experience with it than Trevor Simeon, but at what point are are you throwing good money after bad money? At What point are you just desperately trying to make Nathaniel Hackett's offense work with people who are incompetent right, at the level they need to be to play in the NFL and play offense at a high level in 2023. I, I, At some point, you have to be willing to put your best players on the field. And Trevor Simeon is not a great quarterback, but he has been worlds better at the college and pro levels than Tim Boyle has. I, Joe Flacco could have learned this offense over the last two months. The Jets could have gone out and traded for Joshua Dobbs at the trade deadline and chose not to do so. Nothing about this team and nothing about the decisions they've made on offense and outside of trading for Rodgers, which we don't know how that will go, nothing about the decisions they've made at quarterback should lead you to believe that they have any idea what they're doing when it comes to adding quarterbacks to their roster. I don't think Joe Flacco would have saved this team, but at least he would have been a competent player. At least he would have been a guy who has some semblance of uh, veteran familiarity of experience of game management instead at four and six and still viably in the AFC playoff picture over this next seven week span with three home games coming up four of the Jets that's five next games are at home in front of their fans the Jets are going to roll out Tim Boyle and Zach Wilson and for all the mistakes they made in the preseason for all the mistakes they made during the offseason for as much as they could not have expected Aaron Rodgers to get injured not going out and adding a piece they trusted to take over if Zach Wilson struggled the day after Aaron Rodgers got injured is malpractice and extremely disappointing for a team that should have greater aspirations and and should have been a better position than they are right now given how good their defense has played over the past two months I'm going to finish up here by doing something foolish. I I don't like doubting NFL players' knowledge of the game. And I'm not suggesting that I know more than Tom Brady. Because not only is Tom Brady the greatest football player who's ever lived, but Tom Brady is very smart. Tom Brady has seen decades of football over his playing career and now as an observer and presumably as a commentator next year for Fox Sports. And... I found Tom Brady's quotes on the Stephen A Smith show on Monday so interesting and I'm going to read them to you here. Tom Brady said, "I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. I think the co- the coaching isn't as good as it was," Brady said. "I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. I don't think the schemes are as good as they were." Now Tom Brady said a couple things in this interview. Some of them I agree with. Tom Brady talked about the rule changes and how they've allowed bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. He brought up guys like Ray Lewis and Rodney Harrison and Ronnie Lott, and how their hits would be penalties in the modern NFL. And how quarterbacks are putting their their players, their receivers, in position to take those hits. Now, Tom Brady's not wrong about that, and that's the reality of football. The game has changed, and You'd be foolish not to take advantage of that. If if throwing over the middle of the field is less dangerous now than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago, you'd be crazy not to take advantage of that. You have to be smart about that. The Patriots did that in 2007 when the Colts famously complained about... Um, you know, defenses being aggressive, holding the football, or holding receivers, the league placed an emphasis on illegal contact. The Patriots were smart. They went out and started transitioning to being a pass-heavy spread offense, went with four wide receivers a ton, and changed the league forever because of that. So that's just being realistic about the game changing. The league wants to officiate those hits out of the game. It's Clear that's going to be the case. I don't think Tom Brady's you know, upset that quarterbacks don't take as many hits around their knees as they did in years past, given his, of course, very famous torn ACL. I think you have to play the game relative to the rules that are being called. And I, I could see why Tom Brady would, you know, not want quarterbacks to put receivers in positions where they're going to get injured, but that's going to happen inevitably. I think about. Um, Tom Brady getting Rob Gronkowski, This is actually unfair to say. Rob Gronkowski getting injured on a pass from Tom Brady. I don't think Tom Brady laid out Rob Gronkowski by any means, but Rob Gronkowski caught a pass up over the middle of the field, took a hit low from a a safety who could not hit him high, could not protect himself from that hit, and suffered a torn ACL. Um, That is unfortunately the reality of football. And even Tom Brady, who was again, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback who has ever lived, occasionally ended up with a play where his receiver was in a compromised position. I think you have to be realistic about what's going to happen. What I will say about his other comments, I don't agree with. And I'm not going to pretend that I know more about football or coaching or development of young players or schemes as Tom Brady does. Of course, Tom Brady knows that. knows more about that than I do. But what I am going to say is that don't trust me. Trust me. Literally any book about NFL history. Uh, I have not spent the last 20 years playing football, but as a nerd, as someone who covers this game for a living, I have gone back and read a lot of books about football from the 60s, from the 70s, from the 80s, from the 90s, and yes, from the 2000s when Tom Brady was playing. And the story you will hear over and over and over again. In those books from players is, ah, the fundamentals, they're not as good as they used to be. The offensive linemen stink. The young players, they come into the league and they're, they're not as good as they were when I was coming into the league. This is a trope you hear from coach players, writers, anybody who has paid attention to the NFL for any length of the time. There is an incredible article. I put it on my Twitter. It's by Jason Lisk, who was writing for the big lead at the time, about Declining NFL quality of play. This goes back to 2016, which was the last time we were having that conversation. And it's just dozens of quotes from writers and players and coaches about how the quality of the league has declined. I'll read you one. From uh, a colleague of mine at the ESPN, Troy Aikman, again, very smart guy, knows more about football than I will ever know. Troy Aikman says, the quality of play throughout the NFL has suffered because of three-pronged pressure created by free agency, the salary cap, and expansion. I don't think the level of talent around the league is as consistent as it once was, Aikman said. When you spread over the talent due to to the fact that we have more teams due to expansion, I think it becomes a watered-down league. You can find quotes from Pat Summerall, who, of course, watched the NFL for decades, played in the 50s and 60s. Uh, I compare nothing you see now on the field to what was seen just seven or eight years ago. Pat Summerall said this in 2002, when Tom Brady was, of course, uh, just coming off of a Super Bowl. We still have great individual players, of course, but the teams no longer have the quality of depth to make them great teams who can sustain a superior level over several seasons. Well, Uh, that year the Patriots did not make the playoffs. They went on to win the Super Bowl in 2003 and 2004, making them, in my opinion, at least a dynasty. And of course, the Brady and Belichick teams were very good for about two decades. I'm not saying that to dunk on Pat Summerall. I'm not saying that to dunk on Tom Brady, because obviously I can't dunk on Tom Brady. But what I am saying is, this has been a consistent trope, and it's not just something you see in football. You see it in other sports. You see it in baseball, you see it in basketball, you see it in soccer. Um any sport where you have a situation where you're not there's no empirical measure of performance. like you're never gonna hear a a track and field runner say, oh, well, the runners now suck relative to the runners of 20 years ago because we have an empirical measure. If you're faster running the 100-yard dash now than the guys who were 20 years ago, the people from 20 years ago can't say, oh, I would have beat them now. There, there's a level of nostalgia and a level of naivete about what was actually happening. There's a forgetfulness to it. The, the criticism just doesn't make any sense. I think about something Bo Jackson said uh, a couple years ago where he was complaining about the tackling in the modern NFL Bo Jackson said, "This it's like this, and I watch technique. I don't see nobody hitting or wrapping up. Everyone's running into each other and trying to use their shoulder pads to knock the ball carrier down. And I'm like, if I played during this era, I'd be averaging three hundred fifty to four hundred yards per game because nobody wraps up anymore. They run into each other with their pads. Bo Jackson is one of the greatest athletes in NFL history, or in, in sports history. Not even NFL history, of course, because he played multiple sports. Bo, not only is nobody ever run." For 350 or 400 yards per game, which I find it hard to believe that, you know, Derrick Henry is significantly worse than Bo Jackson. I'm thinking about great runners who would not be able to rack up the yardage Bo Jackson's claiming he could rack up. Bo Jackson never had 1000 yards in an NFL season. He was very efficient, averaged 5.4 yards per carry, but Bo Jackson had, I believe, I think three or four, 20 carry games. He had five, 20 carry games. He never had more than 22 carries in an NFL game. So Bo Jackson, let's say we'll we'll be conservative. Let's say he was going to get 22 carries a game because he's not getting wrapped up. Let's say he would get the 350, the low end of uh, his measure. Bo Jackson believes he'd average 15.9 yards per carry in the modern NFL. And and I don't think Bo Jackson's criticism is unreasonable. There are certainly plays where you see running back or, or defensive players not wrapping up. You'll see players tackling With their head, you'll see players tackling with arm tackles, and that can be uh, disappointing. That can lead to mistakes. When you watch bad defenses, that stuff does happen. There's not, there's some truth to these comments, right? It's not just totally made up. But I think when you think about the past, and when players think about their past twenty years ago, they don't think about the bad teams. Tom Brady's not thinking about the two and fourteen Lions in 2001. Not only was he not watching them, but we don't think about the bad teams. We don't remember the teams who were terrible. But when you're watching as a fan, when Bo Jackson's watching now as a fan, he's going to see some bad defenses. When Tom Brady is watching now as a fan, he's going to see some bad defenses. And when you are looking through rose-colored glasses at the past, you're going to remember the positives. You're going to remember the good development. You're going to remember the positive things. You're not going to remember the place where your offensive line held um, in terrible situations. You're not going to remember the backup offensive linemen. You're going to remember your best players, your starters, your key contributors. And so I'm not even saying that Tom Brady is wrong by saying there's mediocrity around the NFL. But what I am saying is that there's been mediocrity around the NFL forever, this has been the case for decades. And so if you believe that Tom Brady is correct and that there's too much mediocrity around the NFL and it's not as good as it used to be, but you also believe the comments from other players, read Paul Zimmerman's books and read about what the quotes from players then about how the play in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s when it was not as good as it used to be, you end up in this cycle where the only good football that was played was in the 1930s. All, all, all I would say is this. If you are someone who believes that the current level of play in the NFL is mediocre, go on YouTube. There are tons of clips of full games from the 70s, from the 80s, from the 90s, from 2000s. There's clips of Tom Brady games from early in his career. There's clips of bad teams. There's clips that have been uh, upscaled to 4K, which is incredible. You can watch a game from the 70s or the 80s in HD, which is, blows my mind that people are doing that. Watch those games. Look and see what the level of play is. Look and see what kind of mistakes are being made. You're not going to see perfect form tackles every single snap. You're not going to see players who don't make mental mistakes. You're going to see different sorts of mistakes than maybe you'll see today, but you're going to see schemes that are not impressive. You're going to see offenses that are mediocre. You're going to see defenses that blow coverages. That stuff is always going to happen because that's football, not just modern football. Okay. So hope you guys enjoyed me uh, taking on Tom Brady, which seems like it's maybe a foolish thing for me to do. But again, Tom Brady knows way more about football than I will ever know. I'm just arguing that this is more about our memories, nostalgia, and how we approach uh, the past with rose-colored glasses as opposed to a a meaningful difference about the NFL today versus the NFL 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, Lots to talk about, of course, in the NFL. We'll be back next week. We'll have a guest next week as well. Um, probably talk about the playoff pictures with a few games to go. But hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. And we'll have more audio next week here on The Bill Barnwell Show.